Hello and welcome to Theology-ish, a podcast about theology, biblical studies, church history, and whatever else we feel like talking about. I am one of your hosts, William Berry, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Kelly. Oh man, you really outed me just now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Shoot, you. Mm. Now there is no anonymity for you. Everyone knows your full name. Crap. You know, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I actually don't like people knowing my middle name. So oh. I, <laughs> you, you want to restart? That, that is a, a little known fact about me, though, is that I'm one of those people who are weird about middle names. And I, I, I don't even know why. Like, I couldn't explain it to you, but I don't like it when people know my middle name. All right. Well, I, I it's mean, it's weird. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I've had I to didn't, pull up my church ass before, and I'll be like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I, well, I, didn't, I didn't know that was weird for you. I'm sorry. Sucks for but, me, man. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Suck. There are worse names to have than It's true. Um, so, Ryan Kelly, today, we are going to be talking about the Dirge Curio Diaton Dodecha Apostolon Tois Ethnesin, or the Didache. The Didache, as it is known. Uh, what I just read was its full title in Greek, which is the Lord's teaching through the twelve apostles to the nations. Um, now it's just usually just called the Didache the or the teaching. Um, we thought that would be fun to share the, <laughs> the Greek title. Yeah. Um, so I thought. We've quoted the Didache a few times at this point. We have. We were going to quote it in the episode about the Eucharist. We were, but, but we ran we, out of time. We ran out of time, and then we kept going, and then after like an hour and a half, we were like, okay, this has to end. So yeah. we didn't quote the Didache. Um, that said, though, I figured that is as good a reason as any to actually just go ahead and talk about the Didache. And Let's talk about it. Do it. All right. So- Tell me a bit about the Didache. What do we know about it? When was it written? Who wrote it? Why was it written? Why Why is the Didache B? Okay, so we don't know, we don't know, we don't know, we're not sure. All right. All right, I think moving on. <laughs> uh, okay, um, so the Didache, as its name, the long name implies the teaching of the Twelve, um, it is perhaps a summary of Christian doctrine that is perhaps the work of the 12 apostles who you might be familiar with. In the book of Acts, we're told about a quote, the quote unquote Jerusalem council. Um, and if the Didache is genuine, then it seems to be the case that the Didache is the the fruits of that Jerusalem council that happened in like, I don't know, late fifties, early sixties. So it's, it's a very early Christian document. Um, Eusebius does not think that it is legitimately by the 12 apostles. He thinks that it is spurious. Um, and he has his own reasons for thinking that, but despite the fact that he thinks it is spurious and not actually by the 12 apostles, Eusebius, um, doesn't have any hard feelings towards the Didache. He's well aware that it is well known. It is widely read in the church and highly regarded by people. And uh, he's fine with that. He thinks that it is a good writing that is worth reading and productive for the Christian. Um, 
So it may have been by the 12, more or less, and it may be from the uh, the earliest days of the church. Um, yeah, but we don't so, know for sure. No, what, what little we do know is if this was, in fact, the fruits of the, the Jerusalem Council mentioned in Acts, um, that would place this after the book of James was written, um, actually, when which is an, an interesting fact. So James was written shortly before the Jerusalem Council, actually. Oh. So I recently led a Bible study in the book of James, so I okay. did, did a little research on the history there. That and fresh on your head. Yeah, it's fresh in the brain, and this is unrelated, but just interestingly, uh, if you look into the history, roughly... The book of James was written because a dude whose name in English translate to Stephen, which also happens to be the name of my brother, actually. Uh, this dude named Stephen was martyred in in like 40-something, 50-something. Who is also mentioned in Acts. Yes, and is by our historical accounts the first person, the earliest person to be martyred for their faith in association with Jesus. Um, not the first martyr, but the first one in association specifically with Jesus. And that was a pretty big historical event for the church at the time. And it brought on this new age of persecution for the church and the church dispersed here, there and everywhere. And so James decided to write his book of James to the dispersed church, which is why in that opening chapter, you see him open with to the church of the great dispersion, mm. as he puts it. Okay, I, I didn't um, realize that that was... Uh, what yeah, was and so he spends most of that book talking about, hey, here's what you guys should be doing instead of running away from your faith, basically, which mm. is why that was written, okay. which is unrelated to the Didache, but I did find it interesting that that would have been written very shortly before the Didache was, assuming it was the fruits of the Jerusalem Council. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that is interesting. Yeah, um, so that's that's just a fun little tidbit about that. That is fun. Uh, another fun little tidbit about the Didache. Um, we knew about it for a long time, and for a little while there, um, throughout the Middle Ages and, and, and into the early modern period, it had been lost to the sands of time. Mm. Um, there were mentions of it and quotes from it that we... So we knew it existed, we knew it was around... We knew it was widely read, but it had kind well, it hadn't totally been lost. That's not entirely true. Um, it's part of the Ethiopian church's canon. So they had it. There were Syrian Syri there were copies of it in Syriac languages. Um and I believe the Coptic Church had a version of it that was in uh in Coptic. I think that's the language. Now, we no um, longer have the original manuscript, well, the, right? We don't have the original manuscript of anything, but the, the Greek manuscript of the Didache had been all but lost, and then yeah. it was rediscovered in 1870-something. So um, you will see things in scholarship that say, oh, it was lost, and it was forgotten, and then it was rediscovered in the late 19th century. It was lost to Western scholarship, but other parts of the church had it the entire time. It reminds and me a so, little yeah. bit of the epistle to Diognetus, 
which was also yes. lost to the winds and sands of time. So the epistle to Diognetus is a little bit more interesting because the Didache we knew about, right? Eusebius mentions it. Um, it wasn't really lost. Just the Greek manuscripts of it had been lost um, in part, I assume, because of uh, Islam um, and the shenanigans that Islam got up to in that area of the world, but Egyptian churches had access to it. Ethiopian churches had access to it. Syrian churches had access to the Didache. The epistle to Diognetus was entirely uncirculated until it was rediscovered in 15 whatever when it was found. In um, a fish market. In a fish market. It was uh, the book that it was in. The manuscript was being used as parchment paper to wrap fish in and a monk who had traveled to Constantinople to learn Greek saw the fish man wrapping fish in this uh, old old book pages, and he was like, "Hey, yeah. can I look at that?" And there, there we go. Now we got the epistle Along with Diagnes. other works attributed to Justin Martyr. Yeah, so may, maybe maybe we'll. Uh, that's, do, that's that's another discussion. Yes, but those are some things surrounding the Didache, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> yes, but the Didache itself, so may or may not have been bit written by the Twelve, may or may not be the fruits of the Jerusalem Council we see in Acts 15, may or may not be something that people consider to be Holy Scripture. Depends on who you ask and what part of the world they're in. Um, that's that's our historical background but, for it. Well, we will say this about the Didache very quickly. Um Though we don't know for sure who and when it was written, who it was written by and when it was written, what we do know is that the church at the time held it in high regard and it was held in near universal esteem. Even by the people who didn't think it was by the Twelve, they still thought that it was a good writing and that it was productive and helpful and there has, to my knowledge, never been anyone who was like, Christian shouldn't read the Didache – it's bad, right? So at the very least, the Didache closely reflects the teachings and the attitudes and the um, confessions of the church in the uh, late 1st and into the early 2nd century. So that that's significant. Yeah, so if you ask your pastor if they like the Didache and their answer is no, maybe, maybe find another church because— uh, <laughs> That pastor's wrong. <laughs> they, they are wrong, but, you know, maybe uh, just share this podcast with them, and we will explain the errors of their ways to them. And, and we're I'm, real happy to do that. Yeah, and I'm sure that they will see the light in no time, and it'll be fine. All right, so let's let's actually dive into the Didache here and, and talk a little bit about what it had to say, why it's significant, um, and— I, I'm going to pose you a question here at the start of this episode, and we're not going to answer this question until the end of the episode. So I'm going to pose this question. We're going to re- we're going to circle around to it at the end to to give our answer to this question. But the question I want to pose is: Should the Didache be considered part of biblical canon in your opinion? Now, obviously, you don't want me to answer yet. Not yet. Okay. Now, obviously, we are not the arbitrators of what should be biblical canon 
but I thought that would be a fun question to pose. So, I mean, I, I'm willing to answer it now. I'm you, I'm sure you, you are, but do, do we I, have we have to wait? We yeah, I think we've got to wait. Okay, we've got to we'll, build that suspense. We'll wait, and then uh, I'll, if we don't build suspense, how do we know people are going to stick around for the whole episode? Because they like us. I don't foresee that happening. No, the, no. okay. Um, well. So we're we're gonna read through some of this and talk about it, and then at the end we will we will discuss our opinions on its validity as biblical canon and why. So let's 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 get into it. Let's, let's dive into the beginning of the Didache, which starts with two these two sections here, which our translation translates as the two ways, the way of life and the way of death. Which are uh, thoroughly um, late first, early second century Christian categories. We find this in other documents from yeah. the time. Um, these are not at all original ways of approaching this. Yeah, that, the, the, so these are uh, reflective of second temple Judaism, which Christianity grows out of and um, supersedes as the way that uh, God interacts with the yeah. world. And uh, I phrased that poorly, but yeah. you know what I mean. You you see this language in various other writings from yeah. this period. The Epistle of Barnabas has yep. it. Uh, the Epistle to Diognetus has stuff that's now, similar. The way um, Barnabas... Yeah puts it actually is the way of light and dark whereas this is the way of life and death and i I want to be clear it's it's the same thing yeah it's the same thing but it's different different words but it's the same thing very similar there there's this the way of light or life which is i'm sure you can imagine you know the pious christian thing more or less and the way of death or darkness is the opposite of that so licentious behavior and uh shall we say no good, bad shenanigans. Yeah. Now, the Didache is only like six or seven pages long. In, in this copy that we're looking at, it's eight pages. Yeah, so... I, um, I have a, a, another copy that's a different translation, and they managed to make it 26 pages. That's impressive. And they do that by using massive font and double spacing. Oh, I hate that. So, so, so they, they It is a very short it's writing. Incredibly short. So let's let's dive into the way of life here, the opening to this writing. Do you, William, think that we have time to read through the entire section on the way of life? You think we could fit that? I mm, certainly the way know, of death, because that's really short. Um let, let's just uh you want to read the first part or you want me to? You can read the way of life and let, let's just say you, you read until you feel like it's sufficient. Yeah. And if you want to do the whole thing, do the whole thing. There are two ways, a way of life and a way of death. And the difference between these two ways is great. The way of life is this. Thou shalt love first the Lord thy creator and secondly thy neighbor as thyself. And thou shalt do nothing to any man that thou wouldst not do, would, wouldst not wish to be done to thyself. What you may learn from these words is to bless them that curse you, to pray for your enemies, and to fast for your persecutors. For where is the merit in loving only those who return your love? Even the heathens do as much as that. But if you love those who hate you, you will have nobody to be your enemy. 
Beware of the carnal appetites of the body. Someone strikes you on the right cheek. Turn the other one to him as well, and perfection will be yours. Should anyone compel you to go a mile, go another one with him. If someone takes away your coat, let him have your shirt too. If someone seizes anything belonging to you, do not ask for it back again. You could not get it anyway. Give to everyone that asks, without looking for any repayment. For it is the Father's pleasure that we share should share his gracious bounty with all men. A giver who gives freely, as the commandments direct, is blessed. No fault can be found with him. But woe to the taker, for though he cannot be blamed for taking if he was in need, yet if he was not, an account will be required for him as to why he took it, and for what purpose, and he will be taken into custody and examined about his action, and he will not get out until he has paid the last penny. The old saying is in point here, let your alms grow damp with sweat in your hand until you know who it is you are giving them to. The second commandment in the teaching means, commit no murder, adultery, sodomy, fornication, or theft. Practice no magic, sorcery, abortion, or inficide. See that you do not covet anything that your neighbor possesses, and never be guilty of perjury, false witness, slander, or malice. Do not equivocate in thought or speech, for a double tongue is a deadly snare. The words you speak should not be false or empty phrases, but fraught with purposeful action. You are not to be avarious or extortionate, and you must resist any temptation to hypocrisy, spitefulness, or superiority. You are to have no malicious designs on a neighbor. You are to cherish no feelings of hatred for anybody. Some you are to reprove, some to pray for, and some again to love more than your own life. Keep away from every bad man, my son, and from all his kind. Never give way to anger, for anger leads to homicide. Likewise, refrain from fanaticism, quarreling, and hot-temperedness, for these too can breed homicide. Beware of lust, my son, for lust leads to fornication. Likewise, refrain from unclean talk in the roving eye, for these too can breed adultery. Do not always look for omens, my son, for this leads to idolatry. Likewise, have nothing to do with witchcraft, astrology, or magic. Do not even consent to be a witness of such practices, for they too can breed idolatry. Tell no lies, my son, for lying leads to theft. Likewise, do not be over-anxious to be rich or to be admired, for these too can breed thievishness. Do not be a grumbler, my son, for this leads to blasphemy. Likewise, do not be too opinionated, and do not harbor thoughts of wickedness, for these too can breed blasphemy. Learn to be meek, for the meek are to inherit the earth. School yourself in forbearance, compassion, guilelessness, calmness, and goodness, and never forget to respect the teaching you have had. Do not parade your own merits or allow yourself to behave presumptuously, and do not make a point of associating with persons of eminence, but choose the companionship of honest and humble folk. Accept as good whatever experiences come your way in the knowledge that nothing can happen without God. By day and by night, my sons, remember him who speaks the word of God to you. Give him the honor you would give the Lord, for wherever the Lord's attributes are the subject of discourse, there the Lord is present. Hey, that means he's here. Uh, <laughs> frequent the company of the saints daily, so as to be edified by their con conversation. Never encourage dissensions, but try to make peace between those who are at variance. Judge with justice, reprove without fear or favor, and never be in two minds about your decisions. Do not be like those who reach out to take, but draw back when the time for com comes for giving. If the labor of your hands has been productive, 
Your giving will be a ransom for sins. Give without hesitating and without grumbling, and you will see whose generosity will requit you. Never turn away the needy. Share all your possessions with your brother, and do not claim that anything is your own. If you and he are joint participators in things immortal, how much more so in things that are mortal? You are not to withhold your hand from your son or daughter, but to bring them up in the fear of God from their childhood? Never speak sharply when giving orders to male or female domestics whose trust is in the same God as yours. Otherwise, they may cease to fear him who is over you both. He has not come to call men according to their rank, but those for whom he has prepared the Spirit. And your servants, and you, servants, obey your masters with respectfulness and fear as the representatives of God. Hate all impiety and everything that does not please the Lord. See that you do not neglect the commandments of the Lord, but keep them just as you receive them, without any additions or subtractions of your own. In church, make confession of your faults, and do not come to your prayers with a bad conscience. That is the way of life. All right, you went for the whole thing. Yeah, you know, I figured I'd just uh, go for it. Yeah. I mean, we could we could just read the whole Didache and make that the episode, but we're, Probably. <laughs> we're not going to do that. But it's much more fun to talk about it. It's true. Uh, so what, what in there would you like to talk about, Ryan? Well, I, I think the first thing to draw attention to is that none of that is unique thought for the church by today's standards correct none of that is particularly interesting or different a lot of that was just hey this is the commandments of the lord do them you know love love thy neighbor and love thy 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 lord with all thy heart and and all that good stuff it's hey don't commit sexual impurity or steal I, yeah. I will say I really like the bit where it says if you are to give your shirt to to someone, give them your tunic also. And when you do, don't ask for it back. And in parentheses there, it specifies you wouldn't be able to get it back anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which I quite found funny. If you read that part and then you read the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plains in Luke, it's not quite one-to-one, but it's very clearly... Th- similar material that they're working with. Um, So then the question of when Gospels were written would come up, and when was the Didache written, and which was first, and who's pulling from who, and it's possible that they're both individually pulling from oral traditions of the Apostles. Um, What I would say about that is regardless of when this was written or by whom, it's clear that the author or authors were obviously reading scripture. If scripture was written and available to be read. It's possible that this was just, you know, what the church was teaching. And therefore, the author of the Didache also teaches it, right? Um, We don't know, but, you know, this is why, despite not knowing who wrote it, it's been looked on favorably in church history because it it's and, a remix of and that's just the, sermon the on the mount that's just the first section right we've got yeah. more um there's one part that i wanted to point out that i liked oh which part was it do um, tell the part where he talks about don't give way to anger because it leads to homicide. Beware of lust because it leads to fornication. Do not uh, look for omens because this leads to idolatry. Do not lie because it leads to stealing. Do not be a grumbler because it leads to blasphemy. So all of these things 
most of us hear on Sunday morning from Preacher Man. He says, you ought not be looking at boobies on the internet. Yeah, them boobies are evil. Don't, don't you lie to people. Lying's wrong. And, you know, that's a, usually about as far as uh, Pastor Joe gets, right? He goes, don't you be angry with folk. But that's as much as Pastor Joe can tell us, is not to be angry. And then we walk away wondering, or some of us walk away wondering, is it really that bad if I'm angry? What's wrong with being, like, you can be angry sometimes, right? That's a normal human emotion. Jesus got angry. Occasionally, you know, you might be scrolling through the internet and not trying to look at boobies, but then, then they come across your phone. And then, hey, whatever. there's boobies. Yeah, or like, you know you end up telling a lie to your boss and it's like, well, it's just a little white lie, right? But here in the Didache... I'm just taking a pen from the office. That's not really theft. Right, but here in the Didache, you don't... Why don't we get angry? Because it's going to lead to homicide. At the very least, it leads to the attitudes that lead to homicide. And you don't look at boobies because it leads to adultery and fornication, or at the very least, the attitudes that lead to that. And the same with um, telling lies that ultimately that breeds the kind of attitude that leads to theft. Um, and I, I think that that's true. And I think that that's a more productive way of looking at those little behaviors that we don't do the little behaviors, not because we're legalistic, but because we're trying to guard ourselves from the big bad behaviors because the little behaviors compound themselves into big bad behaviors. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and I think that that's a, uh, a more productive way of looking at that than what uh, Pastor Joe says, where he just says, don't you lie. It's yeah. a sin. Well, but lying's kind of victimless. Yeah. Victimless most of the time. But we don't lie because lying breeds the attitudes that lead to thieving, and yes. thieving is not victimless. Yep. Right? So so that's the way of life. We're going we're gonna to truck along here because we've got more to talk about. And we're almost halfway in here to the episode. Really? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, read fast. Yeah. So we're going to move into the way of death. I'm going to read that as well as the conclusion to this section because they're both super short. So the way of death is this. To begin with, it is evil and in every way fraught with damnation. In it are murderers, adulterers, lusts, fornications, thieves, thefts, idolatries, witchcraft, sorceries, robberies, perjuries, hypocrisies, duplicities, deceit, pride, malice, self-will, avarice, foul language, jealousy, insolence, arrogance, and boastfulness. Here are those who persecute good men, hold truth in abhorrence, and love falsehood, who do not know of the rewards of righteousness, nor adhere to what is good, nor to just judgment, who lie awake planning wickedness rather than doing well. Gentleness and patience are beyond their conception, and care for nothing good or useful. They are bent only on their own advantage, without pity for the poor or feeling for the distressed. Knowledge of their creator is not in them. They make away with their infants and deface God's image. They turn away the needy and oppress the afflicted, they aid the abet and rich, but arbitrarily condemn the poor. They are utterly and altogether sunk in iniquity. Flee, my children, from all of this. Take care that nobody tempts you away from the path of this teaching, 
for such a man's tuition can have nothing to do with God. If you can shoulder the Lord's yoke in its entirety, then you will be perfect. But if that is too much for you, do as much as you can. As regards diet, keep the rules so far as you are able. Only be careful to refuse anything that has been offered to an idol, for that is the worship of dead gods. So, about half of that is dedicated solely to explaining the kind of people and things in the way of death. Do you mean murderers, adulteries, lusts, fornicators, thefts, idolatries, <laughs> witchcrafts, sorceries, robberies, perjuries, hypocrisies, duplicities, deceit, pride, malice, self-will, avarice, foul language, jealousy, insolence, arrogance, and boastfulness? I mean exactly that. Yeah. Those who persecute good men hold truth in abhorrence and love falsehood who do not know the rewards of righteousness, nor adhere to what is good, nor to just... Yeah. They aid and abet the rich, but arbitrarily (laughs) condemn the poor? That kind of person? That kind of person. um, Is bad. Don't be that kind of person. Yeah, so I think the big takeaway (laughs) from that is that's the opposite of what they were talking about in the first section, and don't do that. Yeah, that's bad. Don't don't be bad. Um, I I love the part where it says, uh, if you can shoulder the Lord's yoke in its entirety, then you will be perfect. But if that is too much for you, do as much as you can. Which I, I <laughs> love that part because what you'll see as we get to the end of the Didache is that's kind of the overarching theme for a lot of it is if you can't do this, then do what you can. Yeah, it, it's kind D- of do what it's is very gentle. Capable. It's very gentle and willing to to meet people where they're at while calling them to a place that is higher. Yeah, you even see that moving into the next section, which is baptism, which we covered this section of the Didache in the baptism episode. Yes. Um, and the the conclusion we draw from that is you should get baptized this way. But if you can't do that, do it however you're able. Yeah. D- d- just do it. Just do it. D- do what you are able. And that is present through the entire writing. Um, and you're right. It is a very gentle thing, but also what a, what a reflection of Christ in a way in that Christ gives us forgiveness and, and love and all this great stuff, even though we're not deserving of it and we're not able to buy it for ourselves, right? We are, we cannot have righteousness without Christ, we cannot be righteous, and yet through him, he gives us his righteousness out of mercy and out of grace. And I think that's what the Didache is getting at in a lot of this is if you can't do this, well, do what you can, and God will make up for the rest. And what a what a beautiful picture, honestly. Um, and, you know, um, that should be... An invitation to uh, try harder rather than a license to not try at all, right? Uh, um, It's like if you are into strength training, you have to lift heavier weight next time in order to get stronger. If you lift the same weight every time, you, you will never get any stronger. And 
you know, if you're trying to learn a new language, you have to try to understand something in the new language that's more complex than you did last time. You, You have to go slightly farther than what you're exactly comfortable with in order to make progress. So what you can keep, do. But we we ought to uh, aim for the higher side of what we can keep in the teachings of Christ rather than the lower side, right? Because it's easy to read that sort of thing and like go, don't have... I'm good. I'm good. I don't have to try, but that that's not, that's not what it's well, saying. Um, that's what you but see. But if you with, fail, if yeah. you fail, there is grace. That's what you see with not to throw anyone specifically under the bus, but that's what you see with some Roman Catholics today that hold to the idea that oh well, I went to Sunday Mass and did confession, therefore I I'm good. It's, it's fine. All those sins I committed, all that stuff I've been doing, the repetitive sin I've been living in that I'm absolutely not going to change after today's Sunday Mass, I confessed. I'm good. And I think that that's not the message to take away from this. Yeah, and and to be sure, there there are uh, no shortage of Protestants that are in the same boat. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're not even uh, open to doing penance for their sins. <laughs> no. Like, Jesus owes me forgiveness. I asked him to forgive me for beating the crap out of someone so he ought to forgive me and it's like yeah. well i don't know about that one so, but yeah I mean, moving forgive you but, moving on you know, along there anyway. we're gonna skip past the baptism bit since we talked about that in the baptism episode we're gonna move on to fast days and prayer and since you read more than i did i'm gonna read this one as well do not keep the same fast days as the hypocrites Mondays and Thursdays are their days for fasting, so yours should be Wednesdays and Fridays. Your prayers, too, should be different from theirs. Pray as the Lord enjoined in his, enjoined in his Gospels. Thus, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in earth, heaven, so on earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. Say this prayer three times a day. So, the fasting section. Very short. Mm-hmm. It just says, hey, the hypocrites fast on these two days, so you should fast on these other two days. And that's all it says about fasting. Well, there there is the part about fasting uh, in the baptism section. Well, so yes. it, it mentions fasting elsewhere. Yes. But yeah, the on on fasting that's very brief. What what anything in particular to say about that cuz I mean there's um, not a lot to pull from that. I I think th- the intention is to make sure that your fasting is not like the quote-unquote hypocrites fasting. Right. Um, it's not that you cannot fast on Mondays and Thursdays because hypocrites fast on those days. But when you fast, it ought to be different than how the hypocrites fast, which we see borne out in uh, Holy Scripture where Christ teaches us that we ought to uh, not – look forlorn and wear sackcloth and walk around talking about how hungry we are because we're fasting. If you're fasting, what we ought to do is 
wash your face, put on fresh clothes, and go about your day as you normally would um, because you're not fasting for people to see that you are fasting. Um, And, you know, if it is the normal religious rhythm of life to fast on Mondays and Thursdays, then there's an understanding of the people that when you see Joe on Mondays, he's fasting because Joe always fasts on Mondays. So the Didache is saying, no, 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 you're going to set yourself apart from this. And when they go, oh man, I'm so hungry from this fasting. Aren't you hungry from fasting? We're so good for fasting. You'd be like, oh man, I'm, I'm not fasting today. They're like, but it's Monday, but I'm not fasting today. Yeah. So I've got so. A, a short little funny story actually that relates to that. Um, I'm not going to name this person for their sake, but I know somebody. Um, you've also met this person. We we know somebody who partook in a fast back in like high school, I think. So this was you know years ago, and decided I'm gonna I'm gonna fast today, and failed to understand that you're not supposed to let people know you're fasting. And so he went around telling people all day, oh, man, I'm so hungry. This sucks. This is the worst. I can't wait to eat again. Uh, and then later that evening was was told, I believe, by someone who knew better than him, perhaps, that, hey, you're not supposed to do that. And in his sorrow for his failure to fast, ate an entire family sized stover lasagna by himself, <laughs> breaking his fast. And... <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Family of one. Yeah, I, I am not going to name this person, and I love this person dearly. And they themselves tell this story because it's funny. Um, <laughs> I think that is what this is trying to avoid, though. Yeah, probably. Probably something <laughs> along those lines. Um, yeah. Um, but then you get into the prayer section. And yeah. pretty much what it says is your prayers should look different from the from the, uh, the hypocrites, thank you. And that prayer should be the Lord's Prayer, as we're all pretty familiar with, probably. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, give us our daily bread, amen, that good stuff. Um, and it says you should do that three times a day. Reading that. Do you take away that we should be praying exactly that, exactly three times a day, or is the takeaway pray better? So this is a, a thing that people have different opinions on because they're they read what Jesus says about not being like the pagans do who think they will be rewarded for their many words, right? So they get anxious about the idea of saying a prayer that is pre-written because they don't want to just be repeating the same thing, right? I have found that when I pray, I end up saying the same things anyway. Like there, there's a particular way that I end up praying where it's not written down, but in my head I, I end up just saying the same kinds of things, Every time I go into prayer, 
And if I'm going to inevitably end up saying the same kinds of things every time I go into prayer, I would rather those words be Christ's than my own. Yeah, um, I mean, how often so, you know. do I go into prayer or you go into prayer or most Protestants go into prayer and open with, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. And that's fine. Yeah. It's not a bad prayer. It's not. But if you're going to say the same thing every time anyway... Jesus and, said it better than we did, and you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that I don't pray three times a day most of the time. Not like this. Um, I pray sporadically, but it's usually uh, very brief play, prayers. Things like, "Oh Jesus," <laughs> <laughs> it, it's usually more something like that. Or, uh, oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> it's more that's your prayer. And that's the extent of my prayers, oftentimes. Um, I don't know. How, how about this? Why don't you give it a try, Ryan? Bet- between now and the next time we record, why don't you say, uh, three Our Fathers every day and, and see how that feels? Get back okay. to us on that. I. I can do that. I dare you. I, well, now I have to. Now you have okay, to. Okay, I'll do that. I double dog dare you. All right, so that's, that's that. Um, what I, I will say this, in Tertullian of Carthage, in one of his writings, he mentions that all Christians say um, the Lord's Prayer three times a day, and he just assumes that that is universally the case yeah. for all Christians so that's everywhere. just... That is tradition back then. Yeah, and, and this is – Tertullian would have been writing about 100, 150 years after the Didache is written. Yeah. So he's not exactly contemporaneous to it. Yeah. But he's around that time. And, okay. Uh, so that's something to think about. Yeah. Um, so – Would you like me to read the section on the, the Holy Eucharist? We're actually going to move past that one okay. here because that's a longer section and um, we're – Running a little short on time We're like here. 15 minutes We've left. got about 15 minutes to go, and there are other things I want to touch on more, considering we talked about the Eucharist in just a couple episodes ago. It's true. So let's move to the Apostles and Prophets section and read some of that if you want to If you want to do that. We'll talk about that for a minute. If anyone comes and instructs you on the previous lines, make him welcome. But should the instructor himself then turn round and introduce teaching of a different and subversive nature, pay no attention to him. If it aims at promoting righteousness and knowledge of the Lord, though welcome him as you would the Lord. As regards apostles and prophets, according to the gospel direction, this is how you are to act. Every apostle who comes to you should be welcomed as the Lord would be welcomed. But he is not to stay more than a day or two days, if it is really necessary. See, there we have again where it's like, this is how it should be, but if he can't. So he should only stay for a day, but two if necessary. But if he stays for three days, he is a false prophet, and an apostle at his departure should accept nothing but as much provisions as will last him to his next night's lodging. If he asks for money, he is a false prophet. So let's let's stop right there just for a minute, because that's interesting. It is interesting. I really like this section. Um, you know, we 
here in America, at least, I can't speak for other countries, perhaps, that may have different cultures. Here in America, in the Protestant church, we don't really get traveling prophets like that in that sense. We don't get people coming and saying, hey, I'm from three cities over and I'm a prophet and I'm here to spread the good news. Can I stay in someone's house for a couple days and get food? In parts of the South, you do. Mm. But... uh... (laughs) I wouldn't know. I've I've lived in the Midwest my whole life. Yeah, but. no. Uh, the, the, and you know, there's a lot that could be said about that. Uh, yes, but it, that is a thing. And, and depending on where you go, but you can what, find people who do. That. What the Didache says here is not only should you be okay with that, you should welcome them. They should be welcomed with open arms. You should welcome them into your home. They are free to stay for a day or two if it is really necessary. But if they stay for three days... Not a third day. If they stay for three days, they are a false prophet. What's the the thought process there, right? How do you draw the conclusion that one or two days is fine, but three days, false prophet? How do you get there? I, I think it probably has to, as a practical matter, because in the ancient world, there are not hotels, there are not motels, there are barely inns. If you go from Antioch to Caesarea, you are dependent on someone in Caesarea being hospitable and welcoming you into their home and providing you with food and providing you with shelter and a warm fire and somewhere to, I don't know, wash your feet and bed down for the night. Um, if you're telling people to be very, very hospitable as a function of religion, right, and to welcome people as though they were the Lord, it would be very easy to take advantage of that. Most people don't have a whole lot to begin with, so now they've got an extra mouth to feed for a day. Most people could float possibly two days because they really have to stay because it's, I don't know, raining sideways or there's something. a hurricane there's outside a hurricane or whatever they have to stay for two but a third day at a certain point they're taking advantage right and we don't want people who are not christians hearing about these christians who are welcoming itinerant folk and then itinerant folk who are not christians just claiming to be christians for the sake of receiving hospitality right that could very easily get taken advantage of so it becomes a a practical matter i think yeah, for people within the group to distinguish who's actually part of the group and who's outside the group engaging in shenanigans and taking advantage of hospitality. That makes sense. So I, I think that's a bit what's going on there. Yeah. Um, that, that's a very uh, naturalistic explanation. They might have had a, a spiritual reason for thinking that. I, I don't know. Yeah. Because um, all I know is what's on the page, right? All right. Well, let's uh, keep keep moving along here in this section. Um. When a prophet is uttering words in the spirit, you are on no account to subject him to any tests or verification. For every sin shall be forgiven, but not the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, not all who speak in the spirit are prophets. Unless they also exhibit the manners and conduct of the Lord, it is by their behavior that you can tell the imposter from the true. Thus, if a prophet should happen to call out for something to eat while he is in the spirit, he will not actually eat it. If he does, he is a fraud. Also, even supposing a prophet is sound enough in his teaching, 
Yet if his deeds do not correspond with his words, he is an imposter. Or again, a prophet, thoroughly accredited and genuine, living the mystery of the church in the world, may yet fail to teach others to copy his example. In that case, you are not to judge the man yourselves. His judgment lies with God. The prophets of old used to do things of a similar kind. If any prophet speaking in the Spirit says, Give me money or anything else, do not listen to him. On the other hand, if he bids you give it to someone else who is in need, no one should criticize him. Everyone who claim, who comes in the name of the Lord is to be made welcome, though later on you must test him and find out about him. You will be able to extinguish the, able to distinguish the true from the false. If the newcomer is only passing through, give him all the help you can, though he is not to stay more than a couple of days with you, there it is again, or three if it is unavoidable. But if he wants to settle down among you and is a skilled worker, let him find employment and earn his bread. If he knows no trade, use your discretion to make sure that he does not live in idleness simply on the strength of being a Christian. Unless he agrees to this, he is only trying to exploit Christ. You must be on your guard against men of that sort. So, um, you know, it, in charismatic churches today, we have people who, uh, might speak in tongues or have a word of wisdom or a word of understanding or something, and they might stand up in the middle of service and in uh, an ecstatic state, that's the technical term, uh, declare that something is the case. They might point at uh, Deacon Jones and say, Deacon Jones is uh, looking at pornography when he's not supposed to be because he's a deacon in the church, or uh, Mrs. Smith might is in great need and we need to provide her with love and uh, material care because she's about to lose her home, right? And they may have no way of knowing these things because they don't know Deacon Jones very well and they don't know Mrs. Smith's finances, but they say it anyway and when it's looked into, it turns out to be true. Or they might say some unintelligible gobbledygook and say that it is the language of angels and, you know, we can... Talk about that on a different episode. <clears throat> that's uh, that's for the Pentecostal episode. <laughs> yeah, and you know these things happen, um, and sometimes they stand up and they say the Spirit of the Lord says that Jesus is not really God, and He was the son of Mary and a Roman soldier who raped her. When that happens. You whack them with a stick and tell the devil to be gone, and you escort them from the congregation. <laughs> um, or they might say, the Lord says that you need to give me money because I need to be able to, I don't know, buy a private jet so that I don't have to fly with the regular population because they're possessed by demons. Mm. Um, you might find something like that going on in a church. And the Didache tells us, that depending on what the person is saying, you ought to listen to them, unless what they're saying is shenanigans, and it's pretty easy to call shenanigans. Yes. You don't have to test them. You don't have to subject them to uh, tests or verification is the words that it used. Yeah. But the person's conduct and the words that they use are themselves evidence. So if they're saying something that's nonsense theologically— well, shocks. Yeah. Out. If they're um, saying things that are doctrinally sound, but you know for a fact that that SOB 
drinks like a fish and beats the crap out of his wife, well, shucks. All the better. Come on by, bud. <laughs> Ryan. Ryan. That, that's that is, not the takeaway. That's no, never. no. The takeaway is that you're like, huh? For all intents and purposes, that is not what I think. Yeah. His, uh, his life doesn't match with the confession. And therefore, yeah. it makes him an imposter. Yeah. Right? So, so so that's kind of what's going on there. And then we have the, if you have what I was talking about earlier, where people might come in and say, hey, I'm a Christian, and that's all well and good, and you can let them hang out with you for a little while. For Did you notice that for Christians generally, it's a little bit more lenient than people who are prophets? I did. Yeah, prophets have to be out within two days. If you're just a Christian— You get three tops. You get three tops. So you get an extra day if you're a regular Christian rather than a prophet. So they're holding church leadership to that higher standard. Which is good. Which is good. Um, And, you know, if it's after three days, put them to work. Yeah. uh, Because there are no free rides. Um, I would love to close this section out, which talks about genuine prophets, but we are short on time. So instead, um, that's almost the entire thing. Actually, there are only a couple sections we haven't gone over, so I'm just going to read this closing section of the Didache um, that that will lead us out, and then we'll close out. We're going to read this last section here. It's on eschatology. Be watchful over your life, and never let your lamps go out, or your loins be ungirt. But keep yourselves always in readiness, for you can never be sure of the hour when our Lord may be coming. Come often together for spiritual improvement, because all of the past years of your faith will be no good to you in the end, unless you have made yourselves perfect. In the last days of the world, false prophets and deceivers will abound. Sheep will be perverted and turn into wolves, and love will change unto hate. For with the growth of lawlessness, men will begin to hate their fellows and persecute them and betray them. Then the deceiver of the world will show himself, pretending to be a son of God and doing signs and wonders. And the earth will be delivered into his hands, and he will work such wickedness as there has never been since the beginning. After that, all humankind will come up for their fiery trial. Multitudes of them will stumble and perish, but such as remain steadfast in the faith will be saved by the curse, that is the cross. And then the signs of the truth will appear. First, the sign of the opening heavens, next the sign of the trumpet's voice, and thirdly, the rising of the dead. Not of all the dead. But as it says, the Lord will come, and with him all his holy ones. And then the whole world will see the Lord as he comes riding on the clouds of heaven. And that is almost the entire Didache. Yeah. There's only a couple of short sections we missed out on there. But um, uh, if you are interested in it and would like to read the rest of it, I encourage you to. It's a good little read. It's yeah. like eight pages. You could knock that out. In well, like an hour. Less than that, yeah. Because um, you can read uh, in your head much faster than we can read out loud and discuss it. Um, so before we close out here, I'm going to bring us full circle to that question I posed at the beginning. Okay, which is having read most of this now, mm-hmm. um, and I think you and I can both agree that pretty much everything in there is good. There's nothing bad about the Didache. Mm-hmm. Should it be part of Holy Scripture? If so or not, why? Uh, No, because Holy Scripture is not a genre. Holy Scripture is determined by the traditions of the Church. Um, And for various reasons, for good or ill, the Church had decided— 
um, quite unanimously for about 2,000 years that this does not fit with the rest of Holy Scripture. Um, and I am willing to submit myself to that tradition and to uh, the teachings of my brothers and sisters in Christ that came before me. Um, so while it is good, while it is productive, while you uh, probably ought to read it, I don't think that it should be duct taped to the back of your Bible. So, Oh, all right. And What, what do you think, Ryan? Do you, do you want to add this to the canon? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think I could agree anymore with, with what you said. I, I think that about sums it up. So that is the Didache. There we go. Thanks for listening, if indeed you still are. Um, Like, comment, subscribe, and share. If you're on Spotify, leave us a five-star review if you think we deserved it. I sure hope we do. Um, If you have any other questions or comments, feel free to email us at theologyish at gmail.com. Any other closing statements here, William? No, that's it. I think we... uh got it so all right thanks for listening thanks we'll uh, be seeing you next time bye bye bye